Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 182, On the Side of the Demons. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 2 of Battlestar Galactica, Precipice, and season 6, episode 16 of Buffy, Hell's Bells. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before we listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. So uh, we got some BSG to start off with this week. Yeah. A uh, fun-filled episode of <laughs> torture, execution, and uh, betrayal. So. Yep. It's fun times. Um, I know. And it's another episode where it's like literally everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So. Right. Well, because we're still kind of in the rising action you know the it really the, it's only it's what episode two so it's still kind of getting the season going really i guess um, yeah um and they've already brought out a cliffhanger yeah right so uh yeah anyway <laughs> so wanted to you know hard it, it's hard to sort of talk about it linearly because like they kind of jump back and forth between mm-hmm. several different sort of threads of the story. Um, so wanted to maybe talk first about Baltar and mm-hmm. in particular, cause like we only see him a few times, but kind of their big moments, mm-hmm. I think, or at least one of them is obviously a real big moment, but like the others, I think sort of highlight some other stuff we can talk about later too. Um, so Right at the beginning of the episode, um, we first see him as he comes into Rosalind's cell. Um, and I don't know that we need to go into their whole conversation because, you know, he's just kind of like, he's trying to get her to like agree with him about, you know, hey, you know, these suicide bombings aren't good. And, you know, I can't believe that you would actually, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know what's the word um you know condone yeah condone you know people blowing themselves up in order to kill other humans and all of that mm-hmm. and Rosalind doesn't kind of come right out and answer him but she does kind of allow allow him to think that she is somehow okay with it right so there is there is sort of a sense where she she doesn't really answer to him. Um, but I kind of think one of the big... So, all right. I wanted to call this episode Alternative Facts. Or something to do with Alternative Facts. Um, which we're recording this right as that phrase has sort of hit a peak mm-hmm. on social media um, after the inauguration of our current president. Um, or uh, I, well, He may not be our current president by the time <laughs> we actually post this. I don't Who know. Knows? But yeah. I'm... I'm just saying, Anything like, as happen. of as of this talking about it, the inauguration just happened a few days ago, and then there was the whole press conference and whatever. And I feel like, yeah, the beginning of this episode is kind of uh, got some alternative facts in it, right. and and in particular at the end there, where, well, one, you know that Baltar's not. I don't think that Baltar gives a crap about people blowing themselves up. As long as it's not him. As long as he's not caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. Like, I find it hard for him to really 
care. Mm -hmm. Um, What he does care about, of course, is his own skin. Mm -hmm. And so this seems like, to me, that it's a ploy that he's sort of been forced into. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is not the only time he's forced into something in this episode, right? So, like, like, I don't feel like he's... This isn't like him coming to Roslyn out of the goodness of his heart and trying to persuade her to stop the violence. Sure. Right? This is like Cavill's just out of sight on the other side of that cell door holding a gun, you know, and threatening sure. him. You know, possibly. We don't see that. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. But it certainly seems plausible given yeah. the events of this episode. I, I agree with some of what you said, and I don't know that I agree with all of it. Um, I I definitely agree that he is in there because he's been sent in there. You know, whether anybody's literally on the other side of the door with a gun or not, some Cylon or, or other has said, only you as the legitimate leader of, you know, the human government and Roslyn as the kind of maybe more popular symbol of, you know, uh, the resistance or the government that the people wish they still had or whatever, she holds weight. And so you two go in there and you're going to convince her to make a statement together. So like, for sure, that doesn't sound like Baltar's idea to me. Um, I don't know that I agree that he doesn't care about the people. I mean, I definitely agree that he cares about his own safety and probably cares about that more. But I kind of feel like the the scene later, so maybe we can kind of talk about the two scenes together or lead well, into that. Um, I feel like the, the, the later scene contradicts that because I'm always, it impresses me how hardly um, uh, Baltar resists signing the death list with a gun to his head, given his general cowardice and weaseliness. Um, he says no for longer than I might expect him to. And, you know, I think he's not necessarily a good person, but I don't know that he doesn't care about human deaths. I think he's very happy to exonerate himself from those deaths <laughs> and use alternate facts to do that if that is what it takes so that he's not to blame for those deaths. But I don't know that he is completely unfeeling towards any kind of suffering. And I think for him, like the alternative facts is as much his own delusion. Like if I say it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And that helps me sleep at night, not just to make me blameless in the eyes of all the people. All right. So, Taking a step back. So there's one, it's all speculation. Mm-hmm. So I you know Yeah. Like we don't know that like, yeah, it's the devil's holding a gun on the right. other side of the door. But I it, it's something that I think we both agree certainly could yeah. and is even perhaps probably yeah. it, you know, is happening. I get what you're saying about like he does resist that and and maybe even beyond the point where we might expect him to 
Baltar also gave a Cylon a nuclear weapon. Sure. And knew when he was giving it to her that it probably would be used to kill people. Mm-hmm. So may- maybe he's actually somewhere between kind of where both you and I are talking. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe he's changed to some degree by now. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, maybe there is a bit of self-delusion going on. I, I think any of those are possibilities. I just... He hasn't struck me before as someone who is incredibly concerned about the lives of other people in sort of the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard for me to believe, at least at the point where he's in the cell, mm-hmm. that he's like, if somebody is willing to blow them up, themselves up, mm-hmm. like that doesn't, I don't. I don't know that I can see Baltar arguing vociferously against them not doing that unless it benefits him in some way mm-hmm. himself. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, whatever. Okay. Like that, that the other alternative fact right here is has to do with, you know, Rosalind talking about, uh, the torture that's going on. Mm-hmm. And Baltar says there's no torture. Mm-hmm. Like, unequivocally. Yeah. Says that. Uh, she says, we'll tell that to Ty. Who, as we know, has had his eye removed right. in front of him right. in such a way as he could still see him, you know, right. with his other still good eye, you know, see it. Right. Sort of if that's not before. torture, then So that yeah. seems like torture? Yeah. Like, like this isn't like, is waterboarding torture because, you know, right. it's only the feeling of being drowned and not actually drowning. Like, the, like, I, you know, having your eye pulled out is pretty, right. pretty unequivocally court torture. Right. Well, and uh, I also and, just thought, too, the other instance of this we've seen, besides just the general PTSD, which is, you know, the case of the entire human population, is the psychological torture that Kara's going through, which I would label sure. torture, you know, like, sure. So we have seen at least two examples of this, if not, it's, if not more. It's certainly cruel and unusual, mm-hmm. you know, whether, whether you label it as torture or not. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about Kara later because there's other stuff I want to bring up there. Well, and that's um, probably how Baltar's arriving at his alternative facts is that kind of hair splitting of is it technically torture or not? Is it really like, right. you know, what but, but what he, counts and and whatever it is is going to end up just on the right side of that line, you know? He becomes almost manic in his insistence mm-hmm. of yeah. it not being torture. Um and that's, you know, it's that idea that if you just say something forcefully and with enough conviction, that it can be true no mm-hmm. matter what uh, what actually is the case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so his, and, and his attempts to get Rosalind, right? So he, you know, you and I will publicly condemn these tactics they cannot be legitimized in any shape or form like again like like that's the sort of political rhetoric mm-hmm. that makes me not not think 
like I agree that suicide bombing is abhorrent and that it's contrary to the thing. It's contrary to everything that we believe in, says the man, again, who gave a nuclear bomb to a Cylon. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, like, I, it's just couched in those sort of political, mm-hmm. you know, chastising type terminology that just doesn't seem to me to be sort of in earnest. Mm-hmm. It It seems more that he's attempting in that moment to cover his own butt. Right. Uh, to cover his own existential ass, mm-hmm. so to speak. Sure. Uh, that, you know, more so than any, like, would does he even know the people who were blown up? Like, like would he know any of their names other than the fact that he maybe saw them on a report mm-hmm. or something? But he, I I can't imagine that he would like, he's not going out and like having dinner with duck and, and Nora right right, before they were killed. Right. Mostly because he's not leaving at all Mm -hmm. to go anywhere and do anything. Right. And so that it's that sort of, right. But that wasn't the case probably even when the Cylons weren't there, like from the glimpse we saw of his legitimate presidency, he didn't seem like the type to go out and uh, right. mingle with the grassroots and, and you know. <laughs> and it's that sort of remove, you know, from civilization that he, like, makes me sort of think, like, he's not, at, at least not on a deal. Like, maybe even, like, I could even see saying, like, in sort of an abstract moral and ethical way, mm-hmm. he might find it abhorrent for suicide bombings to occur. Mm-hmm. But not at like an individual. Mm-hmm. I know these people. And sure, it's not right that they die. Like, sure, and I can I can get behind that. And maybe I was talking more at that abstract level of this is yeah. a thing up to which I'm philosophically opposed. Does right. that mean that he personally feels the loss of those people? No, maybe that's going a bit too far. Um, right. So maybe we're we're a little closer than even. Well, initially and, thought, but and on top of it too, I think it's important to remember that he was supposed to be at that graduation ceremony. So there's certainly a very right. close um, connection here of that could which, have been me, you know. <laughs> which which I think is in favor of my interpretation more than sure. Yours, and I'm not. I don't know that those two are totally contradictory. Um, yeah, no, I'm not necessarily suggesting AR either but <laughs> um i do yeah like that that idea that you're right like i hadn't really thought about it that way that he was supposed to be at the graduation and canceled at the last minute yeah so maybe it's abhorrent just because like oh that was a close shave. he's a target or <laughs> yeah. yeah believes he could be a target of such bombing so right right that's what makes it abhorrent to him um yeah uh, or that's right. or that's what it takes to get him to think about it. You know, like it could have been me is what takes it from an abstraction to something more personal, you know. Um, yeah, possibly. Um, so, yeah. So you brought up the whole death order thing. And so we're jumping ahead, obviously. Mm-hmm. It, but. Um, basically, the Cylons decide that, like, some people need to die. Um Interesting that they decide that in this particular instance, it needs to be as a, an official new Caprica government action requiring a signature and all of that. Cause mm-hmm. like, 
you know, we saw in the webisodes, like there was, there were, they were perfectly fine with like killing people in the temple and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. like there has been deaths that weren't like from the signature of a government official before. Sure. So like, why is this suddenly, you know, a thing that matters now? Hard to say. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but yeah, like he does read it. Like, and again, like maybe this is more like abstract principle, but you know, he does at least object, you know, to the idea of these executions or at least to his being the one to sign the executions, right? Um, sure. And so, <coughs> excuse me, they um, put a gun to his head, uh, shoot Caprica Six, who kind of comes to his defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, or his support, how you know, whatever you want to call that, and and basically then is convinced by Head Six that he needs to sign it so that um, quote he can live to fight another day. Right. Um, not that he's done much fighting. Right. Yet. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, literally, he you know, the first thing he does when the Cylons land is to surrender. And he hasn't seemed to lift anything. Right. You know, in sort of defense or mm -hmm. uh, uh, resistance to the Cylons since then. Mm -hmm. um, right. Right. And whether or not, uh, I mean, we're still kind of up in the air as to, what exactly Head Six represents, but certainly if she's not entirely a figment of Baltar's own psyche, this is an instance where she's telling him something that he clearly wants to hear in the sense of here's a moral justification for going through with it that, you know, can cover your existential ass, that it'll like, you know, you have no choice in this moment. And so you do the thing that you hate and then you'll make up for it later in some other way, you know, um, which you can't do if you die, you know? So this is a kind of argument for why it's better to just, you know, you know, you know, capitulate in this instance and then, you know, uh, keep fighting as it is. So. Yeah. Or start. Fighting. Or start yeah. fighting. Right. Um, yeah. And so like I agree with you like there is there is a sense in which he does put up more of a resistance in that case. Like this is finally you've hit the thing that even Baltar won't do. Well, except he does it. But you know that that thing that finally sort of elicits a you know, hold your ground sort of. Sorry, my radiator's loud. I can wait for <laughs> it to finish. <laughs> you were um, saying. Yeah, so like, like this seems to be, yeah, that last thing, like, you know, the, this is the wall against which his back is pushed, right? Um, and he decides to fight back. And then, oh, well, no, okay, maybe he can back up a little bit more. Um, 
and so he does. But, of course, again, it's still ambiguous because, again, I can see him sort of being uh, against it on a high-minded sort of philosophical level. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn later when Gaeta comes running in uh, that he has, of course, read the names on the list. Mm-hmm. So he knows that, like... Right, like Rosalind, Rosalind is on and, it. And right. Callie and right. whoever. Um, you know, is on the list. Uh, so there might be some personal... Like, you might... You could see him, like, maybe not necessarily... Like, he was against her politically, but mm-hmm. he might... That doesn't necessarily mean he wants Rosalind to die, right? Right, right. Um, or even Zarek, who who ran with him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, they, they seem to have a good rapport mm-hmm. uh, at one time, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can imagine, him, you know, there being a lot of people that maybe he doesn't care about one way or the other, necessarily, but that, again, doesn't necessarily translate to wanting them to die. Like... Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of sort of leeway there. So, so again, like, you know, I can see him sort of philosophically disagreeing with this and, like, even having some personal, you know, uh, uh, disfavor or dislike of the action. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, like, the thing but, that... But the, the question... Sorry. The, no, so no, I, all of that is to say that the question, though, still becomes is... Is he more upset about those aspects, or is he worried that it'll get out that he signed the order? Sure. Right? Like, is he more worried about people finding out that he signed this order and then there being retribution on him? Right, right. I mean, one of the things, and again, I think we're very if we're not quite in the same point, I think we're not very far away. So I'm not, I don't want to say Baltar doesn't care about those things, like his own reputation or retribution against himself or whatever. Um, But again, like certain, and maybe it is that he's changing. Maybe this is a new shift that we're seeing in Baltar. That's not consistent with what we've seen before, but little things jump out to me. Like the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't really, argue with Gaeta until, like, Gaeta kind of provokes him, like, in, like, okay, you haven't even looked at the names, so you have to look at the names, and then he kind of gets angry. But he doesn't do the thing I would expect Baltar to do, which is to, like, shift the blame. You know? Like, I mean, he says, like, there was nothing I could do, but he doesn't go into his normal kind of weaselly explanations of, like, well, I had to because they made me, they had a gun to my head. I told them no, but then they shot one of the other ones and then they were holding the gun and they were screaming and it was very confusing. And like all that kind of thing of like, I would expect a big spin, you know? And that's all true. Yeah. I'm not saying that, that there's even a lot of truth in that. In some ways, oh, my lips just flickered. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, in some ways, I feel like he doesn't even explain himself enough here. Like, like in, in, a, in some ways you want him to put up more of a fight and say, you know, 
not that I want him to shift the blame necessarily, but he doesn't really offer any defenses as to, you know, what actually happened. He just kind of says, you know, I've seen them and there was nothing I could do and looks really depressed about it, you know, and that's kind of the end of the conversation. Um, So like, I think if Gaeta comes in wanting him to explain himself and defend himself, he doesn't really. He kind of confirms his worst suspicions and doesn't really offer much in the way of a defense of why I had to do this. Um, Mm. So again, like just things like that, like it doesn't seem like normal Baltar, I'm going to tell you why this wasn't my fault kind of way of thinking. Sure. Yeah. Um, All right. So he does sign it, though, Mm -hmm. and accepts whatever responsibilities with Gaeta, at least, (laughs) uh, that that comes with. Um, All right. We've talked 25 minutes about Baltar. We need oh, to no. speed it up yep. through the rest of these, or we're going to be here a long time. Yeah. Uh, so I want to jump from Baltar to Tiro mm-hmm. because I feel like he's uh, someone who we see, you know, so Baltar sort of interacts with Roslyn and Gaeta and the Cylons, and we kind of get different viewpoints from each of them. Um, about what's going on. Um, I feel like we have a similar thing with Tiro, who, um, as we were sort of talking about our notes and how we wanted to talk about things, um, we kind of came up with this idea that Tyrrell's sort of the moral compass of the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and his interactions in this episode are kind of, uh, you know, uh, showing... They're showing how the different aspects of the resistance uh, have kind of gone off in different ways. And and in some ways, other, you know, all the others have sort of lost that same moral compass. And mm-hmm. so um, you have like Tyrell and Ty. And there's that conversation um, where we see them at first, uh, you know. Tyrrell's kind of criticizing Ty, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to find my notes here. I thought I had. Uh, right. Like, it's when he's... Like Tyrrell's, he's, he's sort of criticizing him and... Right, because he was going to hit, like, the marketplace and start to go for the most populated... Right. Populated with humans, not even just and, with Cylons or with police or whatever. And Tyrrell even, you know... Like, maybe he... He understands uh, the suicide bombing thing, but he doesn't like it, mm-hmm. right? And and maybe isn't quite as strongly against it as, well, as sort of Baltar is initially, but then later as as Rosalind is, um, and and Ty sort of snaps back at him, right? He says, "We're on the side of the demons, Chief." were evil men in the gardens of paradise sent by the forces of death to spread devastation and destruction 
wherever we go. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And like, that's Ty certainly clarifies things a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly clarifies. What, I mean, and not that we ne- like, like I'm not even that shocked by Ty's sort of thing, right? Like this is we've already seen that Ty will do anything he thinks he needs to do in battle, in politics and whatever. Like Mm -hmm. he's, he's always willing to take sort of the extreme approach Mm -hmm. to things. Um, Whereas Tyrrell, you know, there is sort of a good fight and there's a, a wrong way to Mm -hmm. resist and, you know, have a revolution. Like, you know, for Tyrrell, if you lose sight of your own morality, then all you're doing is just creating atrocities in your fight, Mm -hmm. you know, against the others. Um, So, yeah, so that's like one aspect, right? Yeah. Uh, of, Of the resistance that, you know, is obviously sort of a motley crew. And it's... What's interesting, too, is that, like, these are all, these are all former soldiers, Mm -hmm. right? Or a lot of them in the resistance are former soldiers. So, Mm -hmm. like, they have the possibility of the discipline that they used to be under, Mm -hmm. you know, with the, with uh, the Galactica and and Adama and whatever. Um, So it's not like they lack, you know, it's not like it's, except for, like, Anders, who was, Right. You know, even I guess probably had some sort of level of discipline because he was on a team, right? Mm-hmm. Like the pyramid team. But, he, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't a soldier. You know, other than like him um, and his sort of ragtag resistance crew that he had on Caprica. Like the rest of these people are like should have some level of discipline mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, should be following some kind of rules of warfare, whatever that might be. And, and as absurd as that sort of sounds. Um, but Ty doesn't like, no. he he's, he's just, uh, my job is to, you know, make a mess of things until the old man gets here, you know? And right. it, like, that's, right. that's all he really cares about. Right. Um, rules are for the weak minded, you know, it's the surest path to, you know, losing the war is to play by the rules. Right. Um, and yeah. so, uh, yeah, again with Ty, like, you know, I mean, he still has, at least at the beginning of the episode, he still has his wife and his kid and, and everything. And so, you know, there's a certain amount that he, you know, still wants to keep, but also, you mean Tyrell? Doesn't, Sorry, did I say Ty? I meant Tyrrell. Okay, yes. yeah. Um, right, sorry, right. I actually mixed, I mixed up my notes between Ty and Tyrrell a little bit here. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, like like that, uh, you know, that idea that like he, you know, he still has a family. He still has something to live for mm-hmm. and he still has a future. But, but also like I think, I mean, you would, we we've criticized Ty before as to his actual qualities as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's not really a leader; he's a commander. Mm-hmm. He, he's the one who commands. Um, whereas Tyrrell, you know, as the deck chief, mm-hmm. like he 
he is someone who, yes, he commands in a certain respect, but he also leads and, and, you know, provides guidance and, um, brings people in like when he was building the blackbird, right? Like he's, he's, he's prone to getting people to help him, you know, build something. I feel like in that instance, even though like Ty might be the leader mm-hmm. or the commander of the resistance, <clears throat> Tyrrell is, you know, that one who's sort of keeping the disparate parts together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, you know, looking at his relationship then with like someone like Gaeta mm-hmm. and I don't, so last week we sort of questioned whether Tyrrell and Gaeta knew mm-hmm you know, who was passing information, mm-hmm. you know, who who was on the other end. Mm-hmm. And there was the implication that they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so here, like, I think that's still true. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think like, so. At least. Like, there's no, yeah. there's nothing to say that, like, Gaeta has revealed himself as the one feeding information to the resistance. It's definitely and, not. It's definitely not. Um, right. I think you could and, maybe argue if Gaeta guesses that Ty or Tyrrell might be on the other end, but I don't think he knows for sure. And Tyrrell certainly doesn't know or else he wouldn't talk to him this way. Um, Right. Because his whole, his whole, the whole conversation is based on the idea that Gaeta's collaborating with the silent government. Right. And, and Tyrrell kind of goes to him out of desperation. Right. You know, because of Callie. Right. 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 What can you find out? Yeah. And Gaeta, I mean, Gaeta, of course, is impotent. Like, if Baltar is impotent, like, how much more so is Gaeta? Right. 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 And and we know this because we can see sort of the inner workings and what's going on. Right. But Tyrrell doesn't know this. And so Tyrrell thinks that Gaeta is just sort of using bureaucracy Mm -hmm. to, you know, forestall. Right you know, getting what what he wants, which is to right. get his wife free. Right. And and Gaeta's saying, like, I don't I can't. Like I have no but it's what's interesting to me is like that Gaeta isn't the only one who does that in this episode. Right? Like we see Boomer also mm-hmm. saying similar things to like Jammer and mm-hmm. and you know, he, like she can't oh, that's a different division or a different part of the government. Like, I can't, I don't right. have any control over that. Right. And that kind of thing. Well, so there's sort of although, a bit of a parallel between them. There definitely is a parallel there, but I think we can kind of extend that. I don't think it's, like, you have to kind of tr- connect a few dots, but I think at least you can see Boomer tries in the sense that she goes and argues with Deanna and then... And maybe sure. and maybe she has a series of arguments and then doesn't get anywhere. And without convincing other Cylons to agree with her, that's the end of her power to change Callie's fate. Um, with Gaeta, I feel like he even has less power, as you said. But right. I think that's kind of the implication to me is that that's why he has the death list, which he then goes to Baltar with. Is He's snooping around trying to see all right, what's going on? Where is Callie? Whether he's given this or steals it or whatever, sees right. a death list, sees their names on it, goes and confronts Baltar, says, what are you going to do about this? Nothing. And then what's he going to do? Like there's that one shot at the end of him kind of running along the trucks. And it's like, okay, 
even if you found Callie, what are you going to do? Like, you can't pull her out. Like, right. you know, and I think this is the part where he starts to become one of my favorites because the poignancy of that situation of what can he possibly do? And he's doing the best he can in terms of stealing sensitive information and passing it on. But he has, you know, Tyrrell kind of telling him, how can you, you know, sleep at night and look yourself in the mirror and, uh, you know, that that versus the reality of what we know, like the dramatic irony, I guess, I guess, of what we know he's actually trying to do and unable to do sort of behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Right. Um, so then uh, the third sort of prong of of this resistance or or relationships of Tyrrell and the different you know aspects of the resistance is with Jammer Mm -hmm. who um Abby is not a part of the resistance um kind of was before Mm -hmm. right um like he he's even he was even sort of involved in recruiting Duck Mm -hmm. originally Mm -hmm. um as we saw in the webisodes and so but now he's joined up with the new Caprica police, but still has ties to the resistance. Mm-hmm. And like, no, cause the names of the police people, police officers are withheld from the public and they use masks and stuff so that people don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like Jammer and Tyrrell are still friends and acquaintances and, and Tyrrell still seems to think, of Jammer as someone who's at least sympathetic with the resistance or, you know, if he's not in it altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the, the sort of excuses that Jammer makes, right. Of, you know, well, maybe some people thought that they were doing a good thing and that it would be better to have other humans, you know, sort of policing us rather than, the Cylons policing us. And Tyrrell just thinks that's stupid. Like that's, you know, if he thinks like Gaeta sold himself out, like that's, you know, morally Mm -hmm. corrupt, but like, this is like the ignorant and Mm -hmm. stupid version of selling out, right? Like this is, it's still selling out, but it's like, you're just being naive and stupid about it, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than, which you know, is that better? I don't know. I mean, if it gets people killed, then it's still not good. Right. 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 And so, um, you know, his, you know, we know of course that Jammer sort of talking about himself mm-hmm. and Tyrrell like, is like, well, well, do you know anyone who's, you know, in the flea? And no, 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 yeah. no, I don't oh, know no. anyone. I just, I'm just trying to, you know, think about it and all of that. So, um, <laughs> just, I'm sorry, this random tangent. Have you seen The Life of Brian, the old Monty Python movie? Oh, I mean, a long time ago. That just made me think of when the women put on beards so that they can go to the stoning, and then they're all screaming, and are there any women here? No, 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 no. They changed their voices to make their voices low. <laughs> anyway, that's what ma- that made me think of. Sure. So, um, for whatever that's worth. Anyway, so, what were you talking about? Jammer. Yeah, so Jammer. Uh... 
Right. Well, yeah, and I, it, I mean, it I, almost I don't seems like know that I had more say. He's hovering around a confession. He's feeling Tyrrell out. You know, like he's feeling guilty. He's kind of going to where Callie was taken and kind of looking around, and you know, and kind of. I feel like he's putting his feelers out to Tyrrell of. You know, some of right. those guys, they just, they're in over their heads. They made a mistake. And, uh, you know, they didn't know what they were getting into. And then when Tyrrell's response is to say, those guys are going to get lynched, um, you know, it, right. do you know any of them? Then it changes to, no, no, of course not. You know, like, I feel like there's a shift right. there of he, not that he was preparing to tell Tyrrell right then and there, but he was thinking about, do I have an out here? You know, will Tyrrell understand? And mm. the answer is no. Or at least Jammer <laughs> seems to think that it would be no. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, if confronted I with... Mean, if confronted reasonably. with it, would Tyrrell do that? I, I, you know, that's remains to be seen as, you know, the story goes on. But um, at least it seems like that scares Jammer away from any type of you know, uh, changing of his mind about what he's going to do in this. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll come back to Jammer later, but, um, sort of the other, I mean, this isn't, it's hard to tell whether Ellen is, should be considered part of the resistance or not. Speaking of people selling themselves for, Favors yeah. from the Cylons. Right. Well, and as, you know, as the sort of bizarre and perverted relationship between Ty and his wife continues, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of, you kind of wonder what exactly the agreement is here, but it seems to be that, Basically, she'll sleep with Cavill if, as long as like Ty remains alive. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So yeah, I don't. Well, and it it who proposed this scenario? You know, like was it Cavill saying we've arrested your husband and sleep with sleep with me or we'll execute him, or was it Ellen? going to the Cylons after Ty got arrested to say, is there anything I can do to change your minds? You know? Right. Um, I mean, either of those are plausible to me. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as as, th- as these things go, she doesn't ever get what she wants out of the bargain, you know, because... He gets released and then they kind of admit, well, we only did it for our own purposes. And now here's the next thing. We want more information and more sensitive information. You know, I mean, you could call, you know, I guess you could argue that it's a personal betrayal against Ty to, you know, sleep with Cavill. But now it's pushing her into actually betraying the resistance and, you know, smuggling information to the Cylons. Um, right. So kind of putting her into this, this 
rock in a hard place where um kind of like Baltar she has a gun to her head and you know I guess chooses to do the the thing she hates in order to fight another day that kind of decision yeah um but yeah like there's so because here's the thing right all these people get rounded up as being supposedly part of the resistance but not ty or tiro mm -hmm. or ander or anders mm -hmm. so does that mean that they know those three are involved and don't care are they are they just doing it you know is is ellen helping to protect all of them somehow <laughs> or is it that like is it more of a devil you know kind of situation mm. where the cylons are like well all right, we can we can just round up all these different people, but as long as we know that these three are kind of at the core of, mm -hmm. you know, the resistance here, then then we're okay. Like we can we can just keep an eye on them. Right. Like like we're not going to kill Ty because we can manipulate him through Ellen. Right. And that would be giving away a valuable asset, and so. Maybe we'll round up people that we suspect might be part of the resistance, but aren't quite at so high a level that like people like Callie, right. like in the resistance, but not in leadership. And so it'll hurt the resistance if we kill them, but not so much that we cripple right. our own plans as part of that. Right. I don't know. I'm speculating, but yeah, no, I don't. Cause like, I feel like, like obviously like taking Callie, like is bad but like would killing like t would, would like taking and killing Tyrrell just cause more people to rise up mm. whereas like taking Callie kind of puts Tyrrell out of commission as well because now he's sure. got to take care of his kid and like mm -hmm. you know Callie was I'm not to say it this way but like I am going to say it this way like she was just the wife right like she was not mm -hmm. the leader of the resistance. She was, you know, just the woman the, you know, one of the leaders was married to or whatever. And so, and not to say that people don't care about her or whatever, but it's not going to have the same effect as like maybe mm -hmm. Tyrrell as one of the leaders of the resistance mm -hmm. would have. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I could see that being sort of a strategic move, but mm -hmm. um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So, Leo Ben, mm -hmm. Starbuck. Uh, another big part of the story here, although we don't get a ton necessarily with them. Sure. Um, I mean, long story short, Leo Ben springs a surprise on Starbuck. Says, "Oh yeah, remember back when we." took one of your ovaries um well now we apparently harvested eggs or an egg from it mm -hmm. and made this baby um which seems to be also leoman's child right, right? like that's right. the 
implication is that this right. is right as if this isn't creepy enough. Yeah, Leoben and right Spotify. because right. she she gets her spiritual clarity from Leoben. And then, right, well, and they're already like he already wants her like he's already playing that uh, uh, Stockholm syndrome game with her, mm-hmm. and like oh yeah, by the way, we have a kid together. Yeah. Um, do you not remember this? So um, yeah, kind of weird and creepy. Casey mm-hmm. is her name. Um, Leoben brings her, sort of introduces them, and then just says okay, bye, and walks out. Yeah. Uh, leaving Starbuck to sort of babysit her child who mm-hmm. uh, she didn't know she had. Uh, which puts her into a not the best of moods. And eventually she goes and locks herself in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Here's some kind of thud comes out. Casey's apparently like falling down the stairs or something. Right. Falling up the stairs and has blood on her head. So here's my question. Mm. Did Leoben push Casey down the stairs? Mm. Like, was this a orchestrated event? I never thought of that. And I I hadn't either until this last time Mm -hmm. when I watched it. I think that's plausible. I don't see how it... That couldn't be it. I mean. It seems a little too convenient mm-hmm. given what he is expecting or hoping to right. come out of this right. reunion mm-hmm. or union. Um, yeah. You know. Right. Uh, meeting, right. And then like between. she hurts herself in a particularly significant way. Like it's not like, oh, she stubbed her toe. It's like, oh, she has a right. head injury. Like. Enough to, it has to be a big enough injury to scare Starbuck, you know. And, I mean, Leoben's a Cylon, and he seems to have a sort of callousness about death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, I don't think we ever will get an answer to it. But right. it occurred to me that it is certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly plays into Leo Ben's yeah. uh, strategy to have Casey have this type of injury. Yeah. So, hard to say. Uh, mm-hmm. The effect, of course, is that Starbuck is immediately sort of resentful of, you know, leaving her alone and, and wanting to push Casey away um they take her to like a doc- doctor or hospital or whatever uh and thus thus completes the domestication of Carithrates right right like you know we get her praying to the gods and you know hoping everything is out and there's you know even some hand holding with Leo Ben mm-hmm. and uh fortunately Casey seems to be okay Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah like there is that potential ruthlessness of mm-hmm. maybe maybe Leo Ben facilitated this situation a bit yep yep know. especially since she doesn't not that I don't think Leo Ben is capable of murder but especially since Casey doesn't die 
you know, it's like you can right. see the, the, the line of thought being, well, nobody really got hurt. It all worked out fine. And this was just my way of bringing your maternal instincts out of you that you were so, you know, your, your path had become shrouded by your own bitterness and anger. And, and this was my way of bringing, you know, the, the clarity of God down into you by, you know, kind of, you know, putting your daughter in, in a, a frightening situation, you know? And so it all sort of worked out for the best as far as Leoben is concerned. So, yeah, um, she's not quite embracing him and telling him that she loves him yet, but, um, but she's definitely closer to that than she was an episode ago, you know? Um, yeah. And if for no other reason than guilt and relief, you know, um, right. Which are powerful motivators. Um, all right. So last few minutes here, uh, let's talk through. So, I mean, we already talked about sort of the Cylons forcing Baltar into signing a mass execution order. Um, this whole episode, there's there's sort of ha- there's this crackdown right on the resistance, or at least people they think might be in the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, notable, of course, because this the mass. So just just one week since we've gone from well, we kind of realized that you know exterminating the human race is wrong. To all right, let's kill these hundreds of people yeah um because they're kind of annoying right um which let's face it i've wanted to kill people because they were kind of annoying (laughs) as well um i just never actually acted through on it sure um as one typically does not so yeah uh i don't know that i have a lot to say other than um we get you know the the sixes you know sort of agreeing that this needs to happen but then they're like well most of us agree and and, um all of that uh right and we kind of talked about that last time of uh the suggestion is that it's unusual for a cylon to not go along with their like the models tend to go together so the fact that capricus Mm -hmm. six is um thinking differently than the rest of the sixes is sort of, if not completely unheard of, like pretty unusual, I think. Um. Sure. Uh, so this order signed. And of course now Jammer and the rest of his new Capricorn police buddies have to go out and round people up, um, load them up on trucks. Mm-hmm. You get, you know, Zarek and Rosalind together again um, and sort of making jokes like, oh, remember when you tried to steal that election? Too bad that didn't happen. Yeah, well, um, and I like this section with Zarek. Like, if there's one thing that you can say for Zarek is that he's willing to go to jail for his beliefs. Like, this is his, this is his consistently sure. his greatest virtue. <laughs> like, like, I love the fact that, like, so they win the election, right? He's what vice president or at least high up in Baltar's administration somewhere. 
you know, he gets what he wants. The Cylons show up and he's like the first one that they throw into like the jail that they built on like the first day. Um, right. You know, because he won't collaborate and he won't compromise his beliefs and they're like, all right, off to jail with you. So I like the kind of, I like the consistency of that. And actually like that might be one of the nobler things we've seen Zarek do is like, he actually sure. is willing to serve time for, I mean, know. it is kind of the one thing that he spent more of his life doing than anything else. Right. Like, sure. Sure. I mean, wasn't he in jail for like 20 years or something like well, when we first see him? This is a good point. And getting back to Gaeta, you could also make the argument that is Gaeta doing more good by pretending to collaborate and not than Zarek is by refusing to collaborate and sitting in jail? Um, you know. I think yeah. those are two different strategies, and I think you could probably make an argument that one is better or worse than the other, but they're uh they take the opposite you know roots, I guess sure um, so yeah, so you have uh jammer and his buddies rounding these people up, putting them on trucks. Driving him out to somewhere, mm-hmm. no man, you know, no man's land, on New Caprica somewhere, um, with the intent apparently to kill them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see the Cylons coming up. Um, Jammer, we know, has been very distressed because he went and saw Boomer about uh, you know Callie being included in this group, but mm-hmm. uh, Boomer can't really do anything about it. And then, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we leave off, um, with the exception that Jammer does find Callie in, you know, once, once all the people are sort of unloaded and ready to be slaughtered, Jammer finds Callie, cuts her bonds, and pushes her down a hill so that she can escape. Mm-hmm. Or at least run away, I mm-hmm. guess we don't know yet whether she's escaped because right we have this this cliffhanger uh <laughs> this of a dreaded of an cliffhanger one. yeah so um yeah hard to say so all of that to say that um way far away we have the galactica you know still under adama's control um you know we've seen them planning and and sort of trying to figure out new plans and new ways to infiltrate new Caprica. Um, we've already seen, we saw last week that they made uh, contact with the Raptor. And so now it's just a matter of execution. Mm-hmm. Um, few points. Uh, the plan as Adama creates it is to have Sharon, uh, who now has a new last name, mm-hmm. Sharon Agathon, mm-hmm. uh, which just so happens to be Hilo's last name. Oh, Carl funny. Agathon. Huh. I wonder where they got that idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, presumably she is his wife now. And, uh, yeah, she also becomes uh, an officer, a lieutenant, uh, because she takes an oath and is prepared to lead the 
incursion team to New Caprica, mm -hmm. much to Lee's chagrin. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get the reference of Lee sort of turning it back on Adama about getting soft and, mm -hmm. and whatnot, but um, he's still fat. <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't had 10 minutes to he's, his name. He's day. still the softest. To um, uh, lose all of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I have much more to say than that, other than that they do land on New Caprica and, you know, Sharon meets up with, uh, uh, you know, Sam Anders and his crew, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and after yeah. some arguing with Lee, Adama modifies his plan slightly, which is uh, that he's going to go back and fight, but but Lee is going to take the civilian fleet with, with the Pegasus because um, Lee points out the inconsistency with the last time the Cylons attacked, which was when right. they left. They didn't go back and fight. Um, they, they fled. And why are we not doing the same thing now? Um, so eventually Adama agrees that that's important, but he's not going to be the one to do it um so there's right. a further splitting up of the fleet here um yes so yeah uh, but yeah that's where we leave off we again we have our cliffhanger so right right yeah. and and the plans that ellen stole are the meeting spot for sharon with sam and the resistance so all the different story threads sort of coming together at the end of, you know, uh, all kind of converging there at the cliffhanger ending. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, on that note, then we should probably move into Buffy. Yep. Hell's Bells. Um, Hell's Bells. Oh, goodness. That makes it sound like a happier episode than it is um i mean actually i mean hell's bells doesn't sound happy it sounds like a silly kind of expression yeah. and some of the episode is well, kind of silly uh, um what is is harry dresden that's what he always says right you're right you're right i remember that from the one book of that series that i read um so they well i read um, like 13 of them right so, <laughs> so you should, I should know. remember a little yeah. more um, I mean, there is a kind of like, it is a silly kind of nonsensical expression on the one hand, which maybe could lead you to think this would be a, a light and happy and loving episode that it seems to be, but obviously hell's bells, um, are not, yeah. they're not church bells, you know? So no. you, you might kind of also be tipped off that yeah. there's some, uh, darkness coming too. Yeah. Um, um. Before we get to the darkness, though, yeah, we got a few bits of production notes. Um, so this was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner, mm -hmm. um, who has written other episodes before. Mm -hmm. I don't remember off the top of my head what they were. Um, notably, she was married just a few months before they <laughs> created this episode. Hopefully, so very not reflective of her. Very experience. fresh yeah. in her mind, you know, these sorts of things that one might happen yeah or you know one might go through uh in such an event yeah um she actually also 
auditioned uh, for this episode for the role of Spike's skanky date, <laughs> uh, whose name, who actually is a named character. Uh, her name is Tarantula. Uh, in case in case you didn't catch that i did not uh, i don't catch that. i don't i mean i don't know that like i never caught that either until i listened to the uh commentary so. that's funny um yeah but um actually on a little bit more of a serious note um and what she didn't get the part she did not get the part <laughs> that's, that's uh, awful um which i mean it's not even like a very big like i think i think tarantula says like two words like you know, and then just kind of like stands there and looks skanky Come next on. to Spike. That's um, failure what, what, of failure that's, of nepotism. That's, that's a that's a that's a diegetic term. I'm not calling her skanky. <laughs> they call her skanky. It's called that episode. in the script, right? Um, so I, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just that's what they actually right, right. call her. Um, yeah, but uh, on a little more serious note, this episode actually uh, was nominated. Uh, for an, for several awards, um, for several Emmy awards, in fact. Um, and we've talked before about how sort of the more serious awards overlook Buffy. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, they're not being nominated for, like, best acting or anything here. Right. So, you know, we're still kind of doing... But um, a number of technical awards. The The notable thing is that this... Uh, episode was nominated for more Emmy Awards than any other Buffy episode, hmm. um, including like Hush, which is really the last time we saw two, you know, so two seasons ago, mm-hmm. uh, last time we saw any Emmy nominations. Um, this same year, Once More with Feeling also received a nomination for Music Direction, um, but it would have been part of the same, you know, uh, nomination process. So it's right. kind of it is, even though technically that episode comes before this one, we haven't seen the nomination yet, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, so uh, again, technical, um, all for makeup and hair. So outstanding hairstyling uh, in a series, outstanding makeup uh, for prosthetics in a series, and then outstanding makeup for non-prosthetics in a series. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think some of that just has to do with the sheer amount like of you know demons and you know the hair like you know Anya's hair and the well really I guess all the women's hair you know who are in like mm-hmm. kind of the wedding party and and all of that kind of stuff so Anya's um, hair was nice in this episode yeah so I mean to be honest not something I would have noticed except that I looked up the fact that it won these awards and so, I mean not that I would know, have thought it was like award-winning hair but I, I just in general, I think they made a point right. of how uh, well, and it, how and it didn't, stunning Anya looks in general in this episode. Like it, it didn't win an award, so clearly not award winning, but <laughs> sure. award nominated, award worthy, right? Um. <laughs> but like you can see that they went out of their way. Not that she right. doesn't always look good, but the dress, the makeup, the hair. Like Anya is supposed to be stunning in this episode, you know? Yeah. Like, and she is. Like, and that's part of the the way the episode works is kind of even physically putting her kind of in the best light, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So those, I mean, that's all I have as far as production notes, but just wanted to make some of those uh, observations. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, where where well, would you like to begin? Well, I, I feel like it makes sense to kind of go through this linearly because there are some uh there are some supporting characters of like the family members and we get little character things with with Buffy and Willow and some of the others, but um but I feel like really this is Xander and Anya almost exclusively oh, yeah. in terms of really what happened. So it Any kind sort of, of meaningful yeah, substance. Yeah. yeah. So, and just the amount of time that's spent with sure. their story as opposed to the other stories. So I feel like maybe just going through it kind of more or less in order is the best way to do it. Um, so starting with the kind of setup to the wedding, um, which I was happy to see that it was the wedding because I thought it was, but I wasn't hundred percent sure. Um, sure. And I actually hadn't. And and I think they even had, wasn't there a reference in like the last episode, the last Buffy episode that we did where they said like the wedding's only a week away or something. Yes, like, they did. Like there is, they did. which you caught and I was totally like, it flew right past me. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And then I, I didn't know, okay, well, the next episode could take place two days later. So it's not necessarily going to be the next one, but, um, it seemed like it was. So, um, Indeed, that is what uh, this episode is about, is the long-awaited wedding. Um, and I uh, want to point out the rain throughout. Um, obviously, gloomy, you know, like from the get-go, it's kind of yeah. rather like it is outside my window right now, which is, you know, yeah. kind of apocalyptic-looking and... You know, the, the difference being that you live in, you know, damp Atlantic Northeast. Sure. Right. They're whereas the dry this is Southern sunny California. Dale. Right. Right. Like anytime it rains in sunny day, right. like you have to sort of right, right. consider the implications. Right. But um, I feel like one bit of superstition I've heard is that rain is good luck for weddings, you know, sure. as opposed to. The, the seeing the bride in her dress, that kind of thing. Um, one of the things that's actually supposed to be good luck is, I think, rain on your wedding day. Um, mm -hmm. so, so it's ambiguous, you know? It's raining. Yeah. It looks gl gloomy and bleak and messy and dark. And you don't know if that's good or bad because it could go either way, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of setting and so pretty much right away we start into before we get into like xander and anya stuff it starts with looking at their families um right. you know and and you start kind of comparing and contrasting the two families which several members of which are staying in their apartment right so it's like you know an uncle of xander's another Aunt, but not the aunt and uncle aren't together. They're like separate aunt and uncle because the, no, no, the no. aunt's single so, well, with the uh, daughter. Wait, 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 wait. She's not an aunt. She's, She's not cousin. An aunt. She's cousin. Okay, thank yes. you. I didn't. I don't know that I caught everybody's names and. Yep. Um, so okay, so Uncle Rory. Yes, he's uh, the one like fixing he, the, whatever. At yes, the beginning. and like the yeah, he's in the robe and yeah. keeps calling, Prevlin Kevin. Mm -hmm. Um and and. I mean, probably too subtle to to maybe have remembered, but 
we we get references to Uncle Rory way back as far as season one. Mm-hmm. Like there are various references throughout the thing too. So this is like, oh, okay, now this is Uncle Rory. This yeah. is Uncle Rory who we've heard about so never, mm-hmm. and even to the point where like, um, in the Dark Age, in season two, uh, it's the second one where we see Ethan Rain after the initial Halloween mm-hmm. episode. Um, there's a reference to Uncle Rory being a taxidermist. And so we get sort of the payoff here right. with him, you know, talking about the proper way to, you know, mount a moosehead or whatever. Right, right, right. And so um, so there's that, yeah. And then uh, Cousin Carol is okay. the woman, uh, you know, the who who is into Crevlin or Crelvin. Right. Uh, sorry, I'm mispronouncing as well. Uh, yeah, so which... The presumption there is that it's Rory's daughter, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. But I don't, like, that's not explicit. It okay. just, Uncle Rory's the only uncle we know of. So, uh, you know, presumption would be that Carol is then his mm-hmm. daughter. Um, okay. But, yeah, Xander calls her cousin Carol. And then, like, that's it. Like, we don't really get another right. reference to her name. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yes, I don't think I call... I, excuse me, hiccup. I don't think I quite caught everyone's, like, you know. Yeah. Name and familial relationship and everything. Um, and, yeah, and so Krevlin, is it, is also staying at the house. Um, Cre- Krelvin. Krelvin. The L is before the V. Krelvin. So, um, and so they've told everyone that these are Anya's family who are all circus freaks. And so that's why they all have deformities and, you know, um, extra appendages and uh, skin problems and, you know. And they seem to go along with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you even get, like, Clem, who we've seen before. Like, explaining about, like, you know, oh, well, there, you know, there is this sort of, history of whatever i forget even what it is that he's talking about but it's something something circus ish right right um right right and cousin carol says the harrises are very broad-minded we're episcopalians so you know they don't want to be rude and so if they find this at all odd they're you know trying to suppress their you know their real thoughts although carol is like hey you know she's going after Carlvin, so, um, you know, yeah. she's not even that bothered, but, um, I guess I, so just in general, especially after, so like, okay, his uncle Rory seems like kind of an eccentric old guy, you know, mm-hmm. cousin Carol, you know, right. a bit uncouth, but maybe not like mean, like right. just kind of right. this, uh, I don't even, I'm not even sure what the word is, but just, yeah, like he's, he's sort of oblivious, maybe. Right, right. He's the kind of like, yeah, maybe slightly embarrassing kind of relative, but there's not really like a, you know, a a bad guy necessarily. Um, And Carol, same thing, like, okay, little weird going after Krelvin, like, can he clean up his skin problems so that he can date me? Do you think he'd date me when I have a daughter? All that kind of thing. But, like, she's trying to be broad-minded and, you know, 
uh, and polite and all those sorts of things. Um, and sure. then Xander's parents show up. Um, and, you know, his mom, again, not like a bad mom, not really a bad person, but kind of a little bit more frustrating in the kind of like her insistence that she's not going to be in any of the pictures. And like, she keeps bringing these things up that, you know, you kind of get that she's sort of has certain ideas about what this wedding is going to be like and won't be told otherwise, or won't be reassured otherwise, you know, and, you know, already has decided I'm not, I'm going to be left out, you know, of all the important aspects and, you know, uh, she won't let Xander tell her otherwise. Um, and, you know, Xander's dad, which, so we've never met their parents, his parents before, right? Right. We've so there's heard quite a bit about them and we've, we've seen, heard about like, them. we've seen, I feel like we've heard them from a distance. We've heard their arguments. Right. Um, right. So like when he was living in their basement, like we yeah. heard maybe, yeah. I, I think there was one episode where like the mom called downstairs and asked if they wanted like fruit right, like snacks jello or, something. or something. Or, or yeah, 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 like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in, I believe it was Nightmares, we see, I think, like, a shadowy yeah. version of Xander's dad. It, not the same actor as here. Sure, um, sure. Course, but, no, well... But it's like, yeah, like a, a very shadowy, you know, uh, version. And the implication there was a certain kind of abuse towards Xander, right? Like right. the the arguments sounded like pretty abusive towards the mother. Um you know, and and a lot of anger on both sides. But um but there mm-hmm. was an implication at some point that Xander is on the receiving end of a certain amount of physical and, you know, verbal abuse and everything. Um sure. so yeah, so here we get, you know, do we finally get to meet them, like, for real? Um, and, um... Well, right, and, sorry, so, and we've heard about, like, like, that's why he sleeps outside at Christmas, right? <laughs> like, and right. has no interest in being there uh, in the Thanksgiving episode, right? Like, so, right. so there's lots of, like, these sorts of family events are the very types of things that Xander yeah. has historically right. avoided right. attending. Right. And, and yeah, and we get, like, if we had any doubts, we get a demonstration of why, of, you know, especially um, with Mr. Harris, of what yeah. uh, just a mean person he is, pretty much to everybody, you know, to his family, to, you know, Anya's family. Um, he just is, like, a bitter, angry you know, abusive person in general. Um, And, you know, if he has more shades than that, he doesn't really show them. Um, You know, and so, and also like in that first scene with um, Krelvin, I'm saying his name right, you get him like offering, you get him offering to help Rory like fix the machine that he's trying to fix. And so it's like deliberately set up that like Anya's demonic friends are in 
at least certain instances, a lot nicer than Xander's family, or at least Xander's dad. Um, like, you know, you're actually, to quote the title of our episode, on the side of the demons in this case. Like, it seems mm-hmm. like I'd rather be hanging out with the circus freaks than with Mr. Harris, you sure. know? Um, maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that, but that's kind of what we're shown early on. Well, and I think it, you know, it's an inversion of what most of this entire show has been, which is that, you know, the humans, they're, humans aren't necessarily always good, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's usually the humans that are the ones being attacked and the demons are the ones who are deserving of right. being killed. Right. This seems more like um, scenes from Angel in a way, in that way. Sure. Um, and, and I think it does speak to that. I mean, it's not the first time we've sort of noted, but I think it it is maybe sort of the biggest jump or the, or the most stark sort of difference. And, you know, as far as that goes, but it is something that I think evolved over time. Sure. You know, as far as even within the show's mythology mm-hmm. of, you know, wh- where does it make sense to kind of have, uh, you know, the demons versus the humans and vice versa and mm-hmm. all of that. So. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I mean, I guess just to kind of, I mean, we'll come back to them a bit later, but for, for now to finish up with Sanders family, um, you get the addition of the drinking, um, you know, which Xander kind of hints is common among his family members of like, that's Buffy's list of to do's is like, keep all the various members away from the bar. Like, not just keep my family away from the bar, but individually watch them all and keep them away from the bar. Um, but, you know, Mr. Harris, of course, is, you know, the, the you know, the big one, biggest yeah. and loudest drunk among them um, and immediately starts, you know, bashing his wife and bashing the guests and whatever else he can think of. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, this is all kind of just context and setup. Um, so we also get um, everyone, all the other, like, Scoobies and their, you know, roles in, you know, the wedding, which we wouldn't necessarily have known before. Um, sure. So it starts with their dresses, you know, and I guess that's the, the stereotype is that bridesmaids' dresses are always terrible. Um, so the kind of joke at, of, oh, it's hideous, look at its arms, like, do you think they're talking about some right. awful demonic creature? And um, Which is, now that I think about it, kind of fitting that going along with these themes of, like, in an episode full of, you know, crazy-looking demons, the thing they're actually most disgusted by is the is the bridesmaids' dresses. <laughs> like, the very mundane human thing, which should be beautiful and celebratory, is actually awful and hideous and ugly. Um, you know. So, we get Buffy and 
Willow and Tara and Dawn all in, and Halfrick, all in these, you know, bridesmaids dresses as, you know, kind of part of, you know, the wedding party and everything. Um, The others, I guess, are bridesmaids, whereas Willow is the best man, which is kind of funny. So she's like, you know, pulled it, singled out as Xander's friend, you know, that she's the, the best friend on Xander's side of the the wedding party and everything. And and only? Possibly. Seems like we don't see Possibly. any other, yeah. any groomsmen or anything. Right? right, right. Right. I don't, do we find out if there's a maid of honor? Um, Like, would it be Buffy? Would it be I think, Halfrick? I think it's Halfrick. Isn't, okay. When we first see Halfrick. Does she say it is? Isn't that, isn't that what, Anya's, I I could be wrong. Okay. I I didn't I, notice. I thought that was mentioned somewhere. Um. Uh, yeah. But I, anyway, I didn't pick up on it. Um. But yeah. Um. So yeah, that's a good point. So we kind of had them last in our little list here, but but to stick with Willow and Xander for a minute. Um. You know, you kind of get the the strength of their friendship in this episode that they've been through a lot um, and still are really, you know, close and really important to each other. That, like, the fact that Willow can even joke about, like, oh, you know, us in formal wear, it's a good thing I'm gay now and then we wouldn't be getting together, that, like, that was like a big deal, you know, like in their relationship, the fact that there was a point where Willow really wanted to be with Xander that way. Um, And that was a big, you know, mistake that the two of them made that put big dents in their actual relationships, you know, when they got caught by Cordy and, um, Oh my god. Why did his name just jump out of my head? Willow's old boyfriend. Why is his name? Oh, Oz? Oz, thank you, you. Yeah. His name just completely wasn't in my brain. Um <laughs> Anyway, um the fact that that is something that is in the past and can be made light of, you know, um, I think like says a lot about where Sander and Willow have got to, that they've kind of been through these really rough patches together and, you know, been able to sort of come out of it the other side with the relationship intact. Um, you know, and not their relationships to other people, but their relationships to each other that they've, they've managed to weather a lot of things. Um, sure. So, um, and, you know, Buffy gets a moment with Xander too, where, again, like, mm-hmm. there's a little joke about, you know, well, I have 20 minutes, you know, that kind of thing. But, like, it doesn't have the kind of, like, awkwardness that earlier like in the first couple of seasons when Mm -hmm. you know when Xander was the one wanting to be with Buffy that kind of joke would have had 
like a lot of tension to it. It would have felt like, uh, don't joke about stuff like that. But um, it it doesn't right. quite anymore. Well, like Xander's moved past that awkwardness with both Buffy and Willow, and can joke about those things and it be okay. Yeah, but also also noting too that Buffy's realizing, hey, this is. Like, you're one of the good ones, Xander. Like, you know, I want someone like you. Mm. It's like, kind of wanted that four years ago. You know, like, same kind of, you know, idea with, sure. you know, Willow. I mean, and not, I, I'm not saying that Xander wants that now. Like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. But, like, right. it is that thing of, like, hey, maybe you should have noticed, you know, before the Angel and the Spike and... Mm-hmm. The Riley and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these failed relationships, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah, there is a good guy mm-hmm. there. Right. Um, Although I don't think she's saying she wants Xander, necessarily. No. She wants a guy like Xander. Sure. And who's who's more like Xander than Xander? No, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure. saying, I'm not necessarily saying it would have been better. Mm-hmm. At those times, either because people grow and are different and and whatever, and I'm not implying that they should be together e- mm-hmm. either. You know, just that it's one of those things where like you could see Xander saying that, like, mm. you know, right, yeah, right, a little, you know? a little so wistfully. Like, like four four years ago, that would have been a nice thing to hear. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, right. But I don't think that on either side it has the kind of like pain that no. it would have had if they no, made no that pain. joke four and I don't, years and ago. Again, you I, know? I'm not trying to like oversell it either. Like I'm not I I'm not saying that like Xander's like clearly he doesn't, but like I'm not saying that like we should imagine Xander like dropping, you know, everything to run off with Buffy either. Right. Like, no. No, I don't not think the, so. That's not the point here. It's just that that thing of like Buffy's come a long way. She's gone from all of those relationships to now mm-hmm. being kind of jealous of Anya for having a guy like Xander. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's sure. all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, she talks about like they're her they give her hope they're the light at the end of the tunnel um you know she doesn't feel a lot of hope for herself at this point but if she has her friends to look up to that can kind of keep her going and have a kind of idealized you know relationship that is two people actually making it work and not sort of falling apart um so yeah um, so sticking with Buffy, um, she also, uh, has a conversation with Spike who shows up with Tarantula, apparently. Um, and, uh, you know, Buffy calls it for what it is, which is a blatant attempt to make her jealous. And Spike, you know, says kind of, yep, that's pretty much what it is. And, um, you know, they agree, they both agree that it works that she still is, you know, she still cares enough about Spike and is invested enough in whatever their relationship was to feel envy over him being with um, 
you know, somebody else, um, which I guess is kind of, I feel like Buffy is just generally envious of other relationships at this point. Like it doesn't even kind of matter if they're, you know, they might be beautiful and fulfilling like Xander and Anya's. They could be completely shallow like Spike and, you know, Tarantula, but it's still a relationship. It's people together who found each other and, you know, the sense of any of her kind of close old, you know, friends or, you know, past lovers being with other people is a kind of painful thought for Buffy at this point. Sure. Um, you know, and the fact that Spike uh, kind of, once he kind of has that conversation with Buffy leaves, you know, that like, he's not, his, the purpose is to be there for Buffy, you know, I mean, both in a kind of petty sense of wanting to make her jealous, but also like once he realizes it is making her jealous, it's kind of like, all right, well that did its job. He doesn't want, he doesn't seem to want to make it, you know, make her suffer. He kind of offers to leave, which he does. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to sort of point out about that, but. No. Okay. Not really. <laughs> um, Willow and Tara, there's not a whole lot either. Um, just little hints and things about them getting closer again, you know, kind of little right. smiles and looks and, you know, uh, Giggles and yeah, just kind of getting, you know, edging their way back to kind of where they used to be. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And so during the, during the brawl, mm -hmm. you have Willow sort of pulling Tara out mm -hmm. into safety mm -hmm. and, you know, right. the thank you and right. all of right. that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, maybe even in the midst of the debacle that is Anya and Xander's, you know, wedding or, you know, what ends up being their not wedding, um, you know, there could be the, the spark or reignition mm -hmm. of something here. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, okay. So moving on to Xander and Anya. Um, they both are kind of practicing, you know, it's the kind of like vows that are self-written. Um, mm -hmm. Xander kind of says he's working on his vows. I, I'm sure he's thinking about them, but we don't really hear them. You know, it's more of a yeah. private sort of internal, which seems appropriate enough. Like, I don't think Xander's the one to go. Anya is the one who, you know, wants Anya to. Anya almost has to, like, hear them out loud. To, to like, find the right Try them one. on. Yeah. yeah. Like. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know what kind of personality types to assign to that of, you know, different types of learning and all that kind of thing but like 
yeah, Anya wants to try various different kinds of vows. She wants to say them out loud, find the right wording, get feedback from the others, you know, all that kind of thing. Xander's very much in his head. Um, so, and I mean, again, kind of we brought this up with the like hair and makeup nominations and everything. Like, they're not totally contrasted. Like Xander doesn't look bad in his tux, but you have like the kind of scene of Buffy having to like squeeze him in after all the like chip eating and everything. Um, right. Like the fact that like, you know, oh, and that's always what happens is you buy something and you get it fitted like six months before the thing. And then it, you know, doesn't fit anymore and that kind of thing. Um, whereas I feel like with Anya, the emphasis is really on how kind of perfect she looks. Um, you know, and I think throughout this episode, she's kind of put onto this, not in a bad way, but put onto like a pedestal of, you know, again, Xander is so in his head with his thoughts and his feelings and even what his vows are going to be. And Anya's just, you know, overflowing with beautiful words of what she wants to say, you know, and she has too much to say. She has so much kind of love inside of her that it kind of can't be contained um sure you know and like the bridesmaids dresses might be hideous but like Anya looks great you know and like everybody's sort of you know stunned by her and everything um so she's kind of put in this sort of beautiful sort of angelic light I think yeah um yeah and I mean <laughs> And and I think there. So sorry, I was just gonna say like with the vows and stuff too. I think I think there's a parallel there, mm. right, between the Xander not quite fitting into his suit, you know, his tux, and not quite, you know, having his vows ready. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe he does, but you know, yeah, you know, I mean, the typical sort of the stereotypical guy, right, is you know, last minute to do the vows and we'll just probably say whatever comes out of his head at the moment. Mm -hmm. All of that kind of thing. Whereas Anya has the vows, you know, has the gist of it, but is doing the final alteration, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, as as they're working on helping her with her dress and that kind of thing. Right. And And, you know, we get sort of several iterations of what that is, you know, what those vows are from her perspective, but it's kind of that last one where, you know, where, where she's really ready. It's not so much that, uh, you know, she's ready physically and, and in her clothing and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's that, um, where she ends up like, you know, I, I finally get love. I really do. You know, like, like there's this, there's this whole process to it. It's, you know, not just that, uh, not just that she found Xander and all this stuff, but it's that, you know, her as, as a former vengeance demon, you know, who didn't 
really understand love. She only understood heartbreak that comes from failed love. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but now, you know, she understands what love actually is. Um, at least she says she does. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, obviously that's the, that's why it hurts so much later when mm -hmm. other things happen. Right. Because right. this is, this is her, you know, understanding of, of love that sort of leads to the vulnerability of mm -hmm. love is what ultimately leads a person to be able to get hurt. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what happens here. Right. Right. No. And like the sincerity of that final kind of monologue is very, you know, poignant and everything. Um, mm -hmm. How, how much she means it and how deeply she feels it and everything. Um, although I do like the little bits of a typical Anya humor mixed in there of like, sure. you know, about, um, right. but you not know, obey you because that would right. be what do you, do you think it's kind of sea captain. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which you know, which or like you know, you're is in the list of because people always say like my my husband, my best friend, my whatever, and she adds you know sex poodle to the end of it or whatever. Um, <laughs> which is apparently a reference to uh, Jane Espenson, by the way. <laughs> okay, they said in in the commentary that at one point on the Buffy set, Jane Espenson was just going around calling herself sex poodle, like constantly and so gotcha uh uh sure Emma, uh you know threw that in uh -huh. as one of the items and right 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 thing there right so uh, there's but the, also, the typical she always goes slightly too far gets slightly too candid but her honesty is part of the charm and that's part of why her vows are so moving you know, is like you said, her vulnerability and the fact that she's being totally sincere. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, the part um, about obeying or not obeying always uh, reminds me too of um, the War Stories episode of Firefly, <laughs> mm -hmm. where, where, you know, uh, Wash and Mal are, are, at odds because of, you know, Zoe, mm -hmm. you know, and her sort of allegiance and, and Wash says, you know, I'm the one she swore to love, honor and obey. And Mal's like, she swore to obey. <laughs> like, like that, you know, sort of thing of like, wait, what? And then it's like, no, <laughs> she didn't he's swear like, that. He, he's like, no, no, but, but you, she obeys. And that's the problem. And there's right. obeying going on right under my nose. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, anyway, so just yeah. reminds me of that no. yes yeah no a similar kind of right. moment i think um so yeah you mentioned bad stuff that happens later on let's get into that so this old guy turns up uh -huh. you know pulls xander aside tells him you know he can't get married this is a terrible mistake i have proof come with me all this stuff and says he's Xander from the future and that he's had a terrible life and it all stems from this awful marriage. Um, and he has a kind of magic 
you know, crystal ball to, you know, to prove it. Um, just right now, not before, it, I'm reminded of uh, the Palantir in Tolkien and the way in which magic crystal balls are, you know, uh, misleading at times, to say the least, you know, in terms of putting your, your trust and your belief into what, um, you know, what you see and things like that. Um, and, you know, the bigger kind of metaphor there about the media in general of like, are you told, or do you believe everything that you're told just because, you know, somebody with authority, you know, says it, um, which we get back into our alternative facts discussion. Um, so here we don't get alternative facts, we get an alternative future. Um, so do you agree that what Xander sees is what's in his own head? Or at least, or at least extrapolated and and spun out from what's in his own head. That like, it's not like the old guy. Sorry about my radiator. It's not like the old guy comes with a, a little movie pre-shot of here's a here's a bad thing I'm gonna show Xander. That what makes it convincing and terrifying is that it's recognizable at least to some degree with thoughts and fears he's already had, like he says later. Yeah. Um, and that this is a kind of maybe logical extension of that, but a kind of spin-off of things that are already sort of inside him. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. I don't... I mean, as with much magic, it's sort of vague, right? Sure. Like, yeah. like we don't we don't know sort of how the inner workings go... Um, I could, I could see that certainly. I don't, I don't know. I think I've tended to think of it more in the opposite way that you were describing as, mm -hmm. as something more preformed, like here's a little video of whatever, right. but like, I don't, I think that's just sort of, def of a default assumption on my part. I don't. Right. See why you couldn't explain that to be like maybe maybe this magic isn't so much like a projection mm -hmm. of, you know, one possible future, but a stimulation that turns your fear kind of just like, you know, we brought up the episode Nightmares earlier, right? right? So kind of like that where it just it takes your worst fears and sort of makes, you know, turns them into a believable, yeah, you know, uh, extrapolation of how the future could potentially go. Mm -hmm. And so the the more interesting question to me, like I, I think that's per perfectly plausible. I don't, I don't know that I have a strong opinion one way or the other, but I do, I do like that idea of, you know, like as a magical device, it it doesn't necessarily create anything it just sort of stimulates your fear centers and mm -hmm. lets your own brain run wild mm -hmm. um 
kind of the more interesting question though is what is what is what is the actual biggest fear that Xander's facing in his right. Right. dreams? Right. And or in that, you know, what whatever you call it, it's not a dream, I guess, a vision or whatever. Right. And I think they kind of seem to give one answer and then it veers off and becomes something different. Because I feel like the first time you watch it, it's Anya is the fear. Um she's a nag. She's, you know, unfulfilling in a bunch of different ways. She's cold. One of the things that really jumped out to me is the way that she ages and he doesn't, you know, like, which I feel like really kind of works. Um, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just saying like it, it emphasizes what seems to be the point on the first watch through for me was it seemed like the idea was like, and Xander's in this kind of, he stays himself. He's this, he's always, he's in his tux. Mm-hmm. He's always the same. And it seemed like to me at first, the point was going to be, I am the same me I've always been and you've changed, you know? And so you watch Anya get older, you know, and more bitter and more tired and more angry and all these things while Xander has this idea of himself as this sort of, you know, um, constant, you know, well, I'm only ever just being myself kind of person. But I mean, I think that's a fake out. That's not where it goes at the end. You know, at the end, Xander's the nightmare. Like it's his nightmare vision of himself. But anyway, um, you can go yeah. ahead with what you're going to say. I, I took him, I mean, I took the thing of him being in this tux and not aging differently and that it was just like, this is like to Anya and the kids and whatever, like he would not look, he wouldn't be look like he was in his tux, right? Like this is like, this is like seeing, uh, what's his name, you know, in Quantum Leap. Like, we see, you know, the personality, but, like, anyone else who's looking at him, and when, like, he looks in the mirror, like, he sees whoever the character is that he's, you know, having to be inhabiting or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's just sort of the way I took it. Well, I I think that's true. Like, if Anya's looking at Xander, he's not in a tux. He's not still 20 years old. But, like, that's Xander's self-image, you know, of, like, this is, I'm, I've sort of stopped at this state, you know? I, yeah, I don't know that I quite take it that way. I, because I think, I think you get, I think you get the differences in personality and stuff that, Mm -hmm. even right from the beginning where he's, like, in the Lazy Boy and like he hurt his back and you know apparently helping buffy mm-hmm. but then that allusion to the fact that like buffy's not even alive anymore mm-hmm. right like right yeah you helped her but it didn't keep her alive you know was basically what anya was saying mm-hmm. and so 
it was kind of pointless to even do so in the beginning. And I don't know. I guess I I don't necessarily. I I sort of took that as he is different, and that sure, yeah. Even though he sort of looks the same to us because you know he's still wearing the tux and stuff. That that there actually have been some big changes that have happened. No, I mean but, I I think it it is true that he changes, but I guess I if it's. Okay, so here's my question. If if the unchangingness of his appearance, what is that meant to signify then? Um, Just that, I it's think current, he, that it's current Xander experiencing future Xander. I guess. I guess I just want to read more into that. Yeah. Um, because okay. future I, Anya, I don't, you know... I don't think it's necessary to read more into that, but well, that's fine. Well, that... that then that's the point of the podcast, reading. <laughs> what are we doing here if not reading too much into things? Um, I just feel like sure. you could have had him age up along with Anya. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that, and I think it's clear that he does change personally. I just, I guess I read more into a projection of kind of this, you know, unchanging self while everything else ages and decays sort of around him. Um, and I guess I feel like it's there to throw you off because I think what you're meant to think is that Xander comes out of this vision scared of what Anya's going to become um, when in reality he's scared of himself. And it's sure. for me, it's a red herring to lead you away from that. So I don't know that I can prove that, but sure. that's what? kind of... Yeah. What about what about I mean I don't I don't necessarily disagree that there's a red herring there. Like I I would I would agree mostly with what you just said. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that it's the way he looks that necessarily gives you that, but that's fine. No, I um, mean that I, I that's part of it. It's certainly not the only thing for me, but um, um but anyway. The the So, I mean, and again, it goes back to that. What is it about himself that he fears then, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, I agree with you, like, ultimately, once you get past the red herring stuff and rewatch it and whatever, um, you know, I agree with you that there's definitely the, that the main idea is that he's afraid of something in himself. But Mm -hmm. then what is that? Um, And I think, Mm -hmm. for me... Mm -hmm. Um, there's there's two parts of it. One is that, um, I mean, there's Buffy's death, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which which is alluded to in the first scene, and then I think I don't think it is again in the second scene, but it is brought back in the third scene mm-hmm. when, you know, he's like, oh, you bring that up again, and right. So I I think that you know it becomes this recurring thing of. It's not just that he was helping Buffy and failed, but that like his failure directly led to Buffy's death. Mm-hmm. Like so I think there's that part of it. That you know and I mean, we've seen that Xander has not always been the best of fighters, right? Like, I mean he's mm-hmm. in fact there were like 
many episodes in a row for a while there where like the only point of Xander was to get thrown around and beat up. Right. 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 So like, it's not that far of a stretch, but it's, there's also that sense of like, like slayers don't last very long. And there's almost a, so like thinking way back to like early seasons of Dr. Who, right. Of Mm -hmm. uh, early new who Mm -hmm. of like, Jackie Tyler and those left behind. Like there's almost a sense of that of like Xander is left behind, but in a much darker way in that, you know, Buffy died. (laughs) Like not, not like the doctor going off and leaving people, but Mm -hmm. you know, that Buffy's dead and, and Xander is the one left behind. Um, And Anya is too, but like for Xander, it's more personal and debilitating to be that one because now there isn't a purpose and he can't even work or, or is unwilling to like, I'm also not clear, especially given the last scene where he like jumps up and he's like swinging the, you know, pan. like it's not entirely clear that he's can't work Mm -hmm. like, like that. Maybe this is more of an excuse than an actual physical injury. Mm -hmm. Um, And that there's, more of a psychological aspect to it. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. So there's the Buffy thing. But then I also think we see that moment, you know, after he comes back into the uh, wedding and, you know, helps Buffy kill the demon and um, all of that. And then him and Anya are talking at the end and Anya's so hopeful and like, okay, now we can get back to where we were. Like she kind of wants to be like, Oh, nothing's changed. You know, we took care of the evil. Mm -hmm. Now let's move forward. But there's that brief moment where Xander looks up and he sees his dad once again, yelling at his mom. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's as much a big part of the fear here as the Buffy thing too, that right. uh, he's going to turn into his dad. Right. And, right. And right. Right. Well, and I feel like the this Buffy... becomes like an example of how that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Buffy stuff is subtle enough that you could even argue that it's somewhat like subliminal, like it's in there, but it's not quite, as overt, I think, as... Right. As, like, it's just the mechanism right. for the other thing. Sure, sure. And he might not even realize how big a fear that is. You know? Like, the fear of losing Buffy and the fear that he might be responsible in some way for that. Um, like, that might be even a more buried thing. Whereas, like, that's what really shocks him at the end. And that seems to be what's motivating his decision at the end is the image of his dad, like screaming at his mom, you know, Mm -hmm. and comparing that to, like you said, a scenario in which Xander would plausibly do something like attack Anya, Um, you know, and even before attacking her, just getting to a place of them, hating each other like his parents do um so yeah 
Yeah, and I think like it, it it's it's good and it makes more sense, but I'm glad that they took it in a direction of it's not as as hard as the demon old guy tries to make it about Anya's flaws. It's not about Anya's flaws. Like Anya has flaws. We know that they're well cataloged and, you know, Xander isn't even unaware of those flaws. He frequently points them out, you know? So it's not like mm -hmm. he thinks she's perfect, but in the end, that's not what he's worried about, you know? Um, which I think in some ways speaks, I, you know, I'm not happy about Xander's decision at the end, but I think it speaks better of him that at least it's not fear of Anya becoming a kind of cold, shrewish wife that drives him away. It's the fears of his own, you know, you know, heritage, you know, his own kind of family, whatever it is, the example of his dad or his gene pool or whatever, um, you know, and kind of feeling like that is plausibly where he could sort of end up going. So. You know. Yeah. But, you know, I think they kind of make a point in the beginning of he doesn't say the vows out loud so that we can hear them. You know, he doesn't fit comfortably in the in the tux, all those little subtle clues and everything. Like, it could just be that Xander doesn't, well, I don't know this is going too far, but like, I want to say like, has Anya reached the place of understanding what love is more so than even Xander has? Like, does she just get it in a way that he doesn't in the end? Um, you know, and maybe it is just as simple as he's not ready and she is. Um, so. Yeah. I, I think that's, Accurate, actually. <laughs> like, I, I would definitely agree with that. So, yeah. Um, you know, and one part in his sort of lines at the end that stuck out to me, too, of his thing about, um, you know, we can't start over. If this is a mistake, it's forever, and I don't want to hurt you. And it's like, well, but this could be a mistake, too. You know, and you're making a right. choice. And... Either one could be a mistake, but both of them are potentially forever. So well, how is this mistake preferable to the other one, you know? And 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 the whole, I don't want to hurt you, like, obviously this is going right. to hurt her. Which you will like, either way, yeah. Like, well... Well, and like maybe it, you this will, is, this is, you definitely will if you take this right. direction. Yeah. This action is absolutely going to hurt her. Right. And, right. you know... It's possible that he'll hurt her going the other way, but it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, we're kind of getting close to our time here, um, or just going slightly over our time. I don't know that there's too much more to say about, like, the, the big plot stuff. Like, the old man turns out to be a demon. So he's completely a phony. You know, this has no relationship whatsoever to any real future scenario. 
um, other than in Xander's own brain. Um, and he's just a guy who was, you know, cursed by Anya however many years ago and wants revenge. Um, so, um, you know, and then it all kind of culminates in a big brawl between the two sides of the family and everything. Um, but I don't think there's too much more to say about those things unless you had something. Nope. So, so Xander leaves and gets a room in a kind of depressing, you know, kind of yeah, one-star I mean, motel kind of flea yeah, maybe kind of place. Maybe one step up from where Faith used to, you know, uh, be, right? Maybe sure. not even a full step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> right. So he's, you know... Uh, in a kind of sad place um, physically as well as emotionally um, and the others are all you know kind of worried about they don't really know where he is Willow says you know I wish um, you know I feel like I should hate him but I can't so you know there's at least some understanding and sympathy from their friends they haven't just totally sort of written him off as completely selfish or anything. Um, and then we come to Anya, who, even in with her messy hair and her tear-streaked you know, face, still looks gorgeous, you know, in her wedding attire. And I really like that shot of her against, like, the black backdrop. It's just very kind of, you know, stunning yeah. and picturesque and everything. Um, and... Um, and her old vengeance demon boss guy, um, De, De Hoffren. De Hoffren, thank you. Um, he is consoling her, and you know, starts to you know, a few little hints and suggestions, you know, of well, you know, I could have told you this, and this is what you get for, you know, you know, your experiments with human love and. This is your vengeance demon. You should have known this all along. And, you know, maybe you might want to think about taking that up again. Yeah. Um, so she doesn't really answer, you know, but she she hears him. Um, right. You know, um, and like Kara, this was her domestication. And, um, you know, this is a uh, it's sad because she finally knows. Well, here's the irony. I know what she says. I know what love is. And it's like, that's true. And this is part of it. You know, it's like, it's not all the happy stuff. Sometimes it's the hard stuff and the sad stuff. And that's part of love too. But the sad part is, is rather than reinforce her notion of love, this could easily undo the whole thing. You mm. know, like rather than say, oh, it, now I've gained wisdom and learn even more about love from this experience. This could just turn her right around back into her sort of vengeance demon ways. Um, yeah. And kind of prove her point. This is what she knew all along and she was, you know, a fool to ever think otherwise. So. 
Yeah. Obviously, you know which of those it'll be. Um, but I don't. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't want to give anything away or whatever, but yeah. And right. I mean, so we are coming up on the last like. Mm -hmm. quarter of the season mm -hmm. so things are gonna start coming to a head yeah perhaps um but yeah uh on that note though we've got a another buffy episode coming up here um So yeah, um, called normal again, and mm. so we'll we'll see what what that means. Who's normal and mm. why why again? And um, we'll perhaps see a few um, returns of some characters who we we haven't seen in a while. So I won't mm. I won't give away who they may may be, but you know. Interesting. All right. Sounds good. See you then.